Welcome to an episode of Pod Like a Hole, a B-side covering the band Nirvana. Nirvana. Why are we talking about Nirvana? You probably can guess. This is the David Bowie podcast. And Nirvana popularized the song The Man Who Sold the World on their Unplugged album when they covered The Man Who Sold the World. And the Diamond Dice recently rolled the album the man who sold the world. So tonight, we're going to talk about Nirvana. We are not going to just talk about the man who sold the world. We're actually going to talk about our top five Nirvana songs. As all of these hosts are nearing 40, we were the ones that bought the Nirvana albums that rocketed them to the top of the charts in the early 90s. Wouldn't you both agree that you helped me do that in the early 90s? This is Eric, and I concur. Um, Mark speaking. Hello, everyone. How are you? Um, yes, Nirvana for me was probably right before, um, Kurt passed away by his own hand, um, probably around the release of, uh, MTV Unplugged. I was a little late comer to, uh, to Nirvana. So I probably wasn't on the ground floor, at least that purchased Nevermind, like you two probably did. If you've seen Eric's recent picture on our Facebook post, you know that guy absolutely had. Never mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, actually, I I was a little late. I got into them somewhere in between Nevermind and In Utero. Um, but not that, like, it came pretty quick for me. I started seventh grade with no taste in music. I think the last tape I bought before that was Fine Young Cannibals. Um, no taste. Uh, I mean, no offense to find young cannibals, it, you know, just at that point, I wasn't seeking new music, had a new group of friends and, you know, everybody was in Nirvana, um, got my hands like somebody copied me a, like a tape of Nevermind. And then I was primed and I got my first boombox and in utero that Christmas right after. So uh, they were the first band I ever went ape shit for and like wanted to know everything about them, read biographies um, I just loved, you know, how, like, how catchy the songs were, but noisy. They actually seemed like a band that would just, like, that would play in a garage. And, oh, we just, they just happened to have, like, great notoriety. Um, I liked it. It was very real to it. Uh, I liked the style. I, you know, I definitely, I definitely fancied myself a bit of a grunge dresser, um, <clears throat> at least for seventh grade. And then we moved to, we moved, and it was part of it was because we, once I got into one, we moved to uh, Arizona and I hadn't met friend of the show, Greg Walgast yet. And I just kind of was so depressed, uh, left all my friends behind in California. I didn't, Arizona was a hard, hard place to be a middle schooler. And um, that just had just about right about an angst for me. Um, and I loved him. And I remember when he died, I was, I uh, did not know about it right off the bat. We were at, we had this ranch, family ranch we'd go to in Northern Arizona. No electricity, no news, no nothing. And my dad Spawn came ranch. a few days. Yes, Spawn Ranch. My dad, my dad came a few days later than than uh, 
It was called Spring Creek Ranch. Thank you very much. Um, my dad came a few days later um, because he had work, and so he had the news, and he's like, Eric, I got bad news for you. And he just dropped the bomb on uh, on that, and uh, I just I felt like somebody just stomped my chest. It was it was I had a hard time with that one, um, but yeah, up until Nine Inch Nails, that was like the first band that I ever like really went crazy for. So yeah, I was kind of so in utero and, and unplugged. I was I was ready I was ready for those albums when they dropped. When Jeff Anderson said, I read the news, uh, are you sure that he wasn't just starting to sing the Beatles song, Day in the Life? Stephen, what do you have? I, uh, well, to answer that question, that Jeff, you know, going around singing Beatles songs under his breath was, that's why Eric is the way he is. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. I think it was fifth grade. It would have been the same year that Too Legit to Quit came out. My dad got me, never mind, too legit to quit on cassette for uh, Christmas. And that definitely was uh, going from one world to the next of uh, my, I was a big fan of uh, MC Hammer style, uh, early, late 80s, early 90s uh, rap, hip hop music. And uh, at the same time, I've always been a, you know, a rock guy because of my dad. But definitely, I felt like Nirvana was kind of like mine. And it was definitely because I taught, I told him how cool I thought that uh, the Smells Like Teen Spirit video was. And, uh, you know, being in fifth grade, that was like one of the most, I think it was fifth grade, one of the most dangerous things I thought I ever saw, that song. And it's just a great, it's a great song. It smells like Teen Spirit. You can't, you can't, you know, the song, it's great. And uh, yeah, that just started a love affair. And like Eric, I would just, you know, it was kind of like Poochie. If I, if I was in a room and, I wasn't thinking about Nirvana. It was like, Steven, why aren't you not thinking about Nirvana right now? That's all I would think about. I would, uh, I, I, I would, you know, read about it on spin magazine. I was interested in the actual members of the band, which, uh, besides Axl Rose really didn't happen to me that, that often when I was a kid, um, I looked forward to the releases of the, of the second album and the unplugged album. And really, uh, you know, at that age, I didn't really look forward to music coming out. So that was something kind of new for me. It kind of set the tone for how we'd kind of be for the rest of our lives for, for me anyhow, with the, the anticipation of music that I, I appreciated. And uh, they were great. And it was just, you know, it also was cool because up until that point, everything I would listen to that was on the rock side of the spectrum kind of felt like something that was uh, also shared by older people. Nirvana definitely seemed like they were kind of mine in, in our generations. And uh, to mm -hmm. a little a little preteen, that was pretty cool. Um, and also, they're just noisy as hell. They just, you know, that was the first time I remember just music seeming dangerous, really. Um, right. It was cool. It was great. And uh, yeah, I remember, you know, the, the 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 day he died, I either heard about it that morning or the next day. I don't remember how I heard about it, but I do remember where I was. I was hanging out at the baseball field across the street from my my house growing up. And I was just extremely sad. And it was the first time I think I remember a celebrity uh, dying that really affected me. I might, I might, you know, be wrong there, but I think that was the first one that really uh, affected me. And it was also the first time I really thought about suicide as a kid. That wasn't that old. I was um, 13, I think. And you don't, I don't think you think about suicide much until you're, you know, older. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah. it was, it was strange. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, that band had its hooks in me for for years at a time. Yeah. I mean, we can we I, we can of course give the other members their due, but uh, Kurt Cobain was a, a unique. Other than being a great songwriter and just having such a unique voice and kind of defining 
a a era of music. Um, I I didn't really fully grasp the whole thing, but some of his political leanings ended up I think I think have something to do with kind of who I am politically too, because I can remember I remember being a kid and and, and reading his, the the um forgot who wrote it, but it's essentially a like a biography of Nirvana. And there's all sorts of great artifacts in there and a bunch of like comic strips that he drew for, um, for various like punk zines. And um, they were like really edgy, like super violent, but usually like preaching against homophobia or, uh, you know, against, um, you know, domestic violence. Um, his, uh, his essay that he wrote for the Incesticide album, like that was like, even like I said, I couldn't grasp it all, but I could tell, you know, he was standing up for these causes, the feminism and stuff. I, you know, just in my point of privilege, never gave, you know, a lot of thought, a lot of thought to, and um, it really stuck with me. And I think that's that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, Chris Novoselic. He was a good bass player in the band. He went on to become a uh, a local level politician. I didn't do a lot of music that I followed after that. And obviously Dave Grohl, who we've talked about much on this podcast, needs no introduction. He he definitely just continued right along and played with every band that'll have him. The Foo Fighters became an institution. And he's a hell of a songwriter in his own right. Um, he wasn't their first drummer. They went through a lot of drummers before him. But he was the drummer that stuck. And uh, I don't think there's much we need to, you know. It's not like the story of Nirvana is not well known. But I, I, right. I, I, many people out there around our age and maybe a little younger, a little older, definitely a little older. I bet I, I, I'm sure people that were a little older than us that caught them live during this time just had their minds blown. Um, everybody's got their their Nirvana story. They were awesome. They were lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And we can we can thank uh, them for, you know, our awareness of, of Melvin's mm-hmm. as well. I know I, were, I heard about them through Nirvana before I ever actually heard them. They were Melvin's fans, and uh, Dale, or oh, I'm sorry, well, Dale Crover was on Bleach on three songs, but Buzz also kind of looked at uh, Kurt Cobain kind of as is a kind of as like an annoying fanboy at times, which I find funny. Uh, Kurt actually <laughs> did play guitar on their cover of Blind on the uh, oh goodness Houdini Houdini. Yeah, good out. Nope, it wasn't Houdini. What was the? What were the? He's, three he's on. I'm telling you, he's on Houdini. I, you may be thinking of a different thing, but he's no, on you're right. It is, Houdini. it is Houdini. I was about to say Stoner Witch. No, because they came out back to back. You're right. It's Houdini. Mm. He helped. Uh, I think he helped uh, produce Houdini too. I'm not sure. He definitely helped the Melvins get their short, short, short uh, term uh, major label contract. Um, so yeah, no, the, their popularity definitely had all the record labels looking for the next Nirvana, and Melvin's got dubbed the next Nirvana, and they were not. <laughs> <laughs> no. but the mighty Melvins continue to this day. 
But here tonight, uh, I think we'll talk more about the man who sold the world in the next episode when we talk about the song. Um, no. Unless you guys bring it up tonight again. I, I, I think that's a very loose reason for us just to want to talk about Nirvana, which I think yeah. is great. But yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll focus well, why more. not now? Why not now? Yeah. Well, so you want to talk about it now? Oh no, I don't. I meant, I exactly. meant, I meant, I meant. Why not talk about Nirvana now? Yeah, yeah no. Let's. We'll talk about the song and their cover, "The Man Who Sold the World," when we talk about the David Bowie album, because I think that they actually made him bring it out of the mothballs and start playing it live again. Um, but I think yeah, let's talk about our top five Nirvana songs. We haven't done a top five in a while. I don't think we have. Yeah, I think it's been since. Can you remember uh, the last time? I think we did a, a few top fives uh, during our Christmas. Our Christmas get-together get when we uh, got drunk in Steve's basement at that Christmas party. Oh, Was that yeah. a tough... Oh, all right. Well, that doesn't matter. What matters is what we're doing tonight. Top five Nirvana songs. There may be some crossover here. I'll be shocked if there's not. Uh, I have some runners-up. There's not a big pool. I mean, unless you want to... Uh, they only released uh, two proper studio... No, three proper studio albums, a B-Sides album, and two live albums, one of which was unplugged, and then the other one was a uh, a live album that was a mixture of live shows. Um, they didn't have a huge discography, but there's many, many B-sides, there's many demos, there's many bootlegs. There's no shortage of Nirvana content in the world. But official studio recordings, there, uh, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, anyhow, I'll start. I'll start tonight. Uh, my number five track is off of hold on one second bring up my list here it is off their debut album it is the song love buzz That's that's my number five as well. Okay, well let's let's both talk about it now. Mark, is it your number five? It is not. Okay, so Love Buzz. Um, what I like about Love Buzz is obviously it wasn't the first time I heard Nirvana, but I do remember that when I got I went backwards and I got Bleach after I got uh, Nevermind. Same. And I just thought I was so cool for getting their you know their original record. I was a you know, young kid, so I didn't. I didn't, I didn't work backwards in discographies like that, you know, often and pick up something off sub pop records. That's, it's crazy. And, uh, I was always kind of blown away by it. It was, it had this oddly, just very catchy song that also just kind of sounded, uh, like a divinals or a breeder song by way of Nirvana. I, I'm just really just catchy, good track that then would have these blasts of just guitar squelches and, just worked perfectly, and it opens up with this bass line that's, you know, boom, do 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 do, and basically, Nirvana was never complicated, but they knew how to, you know, to keep things catchy but also not boring. And the way the guitar line would then build off that bass line had a very like Egyptian feel to it, like something almost out of a Dio song. Uh, I just dug it, 
And uh, originally it was written by a band called Shocking Blue. And I am not familiar with them, but I've been familiar with Love Buzz for, for decades. And it's uh, one of my favorite Nirvana tracks. And Chad Channing was the one that drummed on this track. They're one of their original drummers. So it was not Dave Grohl. Uh, Eric, how do you... So you worked your way backwards and you just were like, hey, this song's great. That's that's how I felt. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, the Bleach is a fun album. Um, I don't think the songwriting is where it will end up for the rest of it. So that's why my 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 Bleach selection is is my number five. Um, but Love Buzz is so damn good. You're right. And that that, that bass line, it's got a little bit of a, of a fuzz to it as well. Um, and you know Kurt singing is like catchy, and those the, just his verses get stuck in my head. And but then he's showing like a lot of his range in that song. Um, they liked playing the song live. There's some good footage of it. Um, they would really turn this into a rocker. Um, remember the one? The, I always know. I had the VHS of Live Tonight sold out. Oh yeah, and uh, it's got clips from all over time. And they're playing this, and uh, and Kurt gets into a fight with the security guard and like smashes the guitar over the guy's head. Um, cause I guess the guy was like pushing a girl in the front row. The security guard was or something like that. But, um, yeah, anyways, uh, the song is, uh, the song is, uh, it gets in, it gets in, it gets in your veins. It's a good one. Five also appeared on bleach and it was the other song that, uh, essentially was probably the other popular song that we would probably find from this album, but it was uh, the opposite of that Hugh Grant movie. It's about a girl. Before you get going, Mark, uh, Love Buzz, wasn't that in like a Drew Barrymore movie or something that made it popular? It's possible. Am I misremembering this? Okay. I, it, I it's certainly it, possible. It definitely got a second life in the aughts. It was on a very popular movie. Never um, been kissed? to bother the crush but <laughs> go on talk about about a girl i can that, that's a great choice so uh my introduction to this song like i said earlier was on the mtv unplugged and you know let's face it i would have to say if anyone in this country knew of two different mtv unplugged albums it's going to be the eric clapton one and it's going to be the nirvana one and it should also be the jay-z one which was a great unplugged album, if you ask me. Going back to the original rock version found on Bleach, just holds up. It's a, it's a great little mm-hmm. pop jangle of song. It's not a, overly abrasive. Uh, Butch Vig uh, has definitely cited the fact that 
This is showing that Kurt was also a big Beatles fan and of traditional songwriting. He knew a good yeah. melody and he couldn't shake it. Um, and I love the acoustic version, the bleach version with it's a little bit more stripped down in terms of its recording style. Uh, the, re- the mix on bleach is, let's face it, not the richest. Um, but the song's about his girlfriend at the time. Uh, her name was Tracy Miranda. And, uh, you know, basically about just being in a relationship. And I don't know what else you can really go with that. But that's my number five pick about a girl. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. All those I do's. Those are great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I, 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 I... go ahead. I was going to say about a girl is definitely my, uh, my, my runner ups, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one of which is that for whatever reason, um, well, I, I, on your guys's iPhones, if you, the music you actually, uh, you purchase and put on there, it stays on there. Not the stuff you listen to in any kind of streaming service. Yeah. If you ever get in your car sometimes, does it automatically pull it up by accident? No, um, because I do pay for the Apple Music nine ninety nine folks month. Go for it, fifty million right. songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got I've got a I've got a batch of songs that are just on my oh, phone because boy. they're ones that when people bought music, they uh, they were there. And I bought I bought uh, Nirvana Unplugged online or through Apple once, and it remains in the sh- in, in the mix. And about a girl being a about a girl is the first song on the list. And so sometimes for years now, when I get in my car, the about a girl unplugged version always comes on and I never mind. Um, Ooh, pun intended. No pun intended. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's always happens. And also uh, famously in the eighth grade talent show, uh, me and my buddy Keith Baranowski played uh, about a girl live. I played bass. He played guitar and uh, we brought the house down guys. I bet you did. Nice. I bet it was slow clap city. People just <laughs> cheering you on. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Number four. My number four. This one might also be on your guys' list. It's in bloom. Such a good choice. It is not. So go, it go is ahead. Not on All right. Oh, I, I love In Bloom. Uh, in Bloom was not one of my favorite songs back when Nevermind originally came out. I didn't I didn't love it as much as I do now. But um, as an adult, and it just it became one of my favorite Nirvana songs. Uh, a lot of it has to do with just how hard Dave Grohl hits the drums on this one. He just... Uh, the, the opening that's you can't beat that and then if you continue on or just and then when it's the verse starts and then it's just the bass line with Kurt singing over it you can't it's such an aggressively great pop song catchy as all hell but just loud and uh Chris Novoselic actually said that originally it sounded like a bad brain song and then Kurt turned it into a pop song. 
And as far as pop songs go, it's still not a poppy pop song. It's just catchy as all hell. Um, and then, you know, the chorus, the he's the one who likes oh, yeah. all the pre- exactly. You get stuck oh, in your yeah. head. It's Ooh, a great, yeah. great track. Um, and I love the backup vocals. The other the other guys in the band, they're the ones doing the he the ones that's the, the multi-tracked. And, uh, you know, don't just know, know what it takes. It's uh, it's just got a great pace. It's really heavy, really heavy and really poppy. I, I, I dig it. And uh, the video, video is, is so yeah. good. Eric, what do you think about that video? You want to explain a little bit of what it was? Is that a who direct? Is that a Spike Jones video or am I crazy? No, this is this is the guy that did a lot of the early stuff. It was a oh god, his name was like Kevin Kierlake or Ken Kierlake. Kevin Kerslake. Kerslake. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. He did a yeah, lot of their video, early videos. Yeah. He did most of their videos. This this video is great because it's done in black and white. Um you know, it looks, it definitely starts out. It, that's why I thought it was a Spike Jones video. Cause it looks just kind of classy. Like they're doing like an old, like Ed Sullivan show performance. Well, they're they kind of made, they, they kind of beat, we, they beat Weezer to the punch. Oh yeah, for sure. They're all, and they're all decked out, you know, as far as like, you know, hair kind of greased back and, and uh, as clean cut as they can look. And then they play the song and it kind of cuts between that. And then them like in dresses, like just, just absolutely ripping the t- stage apart, like just breaking things, breaking the set. And, uh, just a nice little bit of chaos. I, I, it's a great video. One of their best, I think. Um, maybe the best. And, uh, yeah, the song, and this song is, you're right. It's a perfect, like, pop rock song. It has no business being as noisy as it is and still working. Um, which is why I think I love them. I think this song is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that, 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 that the, the conception, the, con- the video, the conceptual video of, uh, them kind of mocking Ed Sullivan at that age. I didn't see a lot of mockery of uh, old institutions like that. So I thought that was pretty cool and funny. And uh, the original video was going to be the story of a young girl born into a Ku Klux fan- Klan family who one day realizes how evil they are. And uh, Kurt, that was, that was Kurt's idea, but they just couldn't make it work. So they took a whole different uh, path. Hmm. Hmm. So that's my number four. Eric, what is yours? <laughs> I picked a song off Incesticide. I, you know me, I love my B-sides. And I, and I find that to be one of the best B-side albums. So listenable. You can tell I, Kurt cared, cared about it. I concur. Uh, I think that if you didn't know it was a B-side album, you wouldn't know it was a B-side album. I think it, uh, it flows like a, just a rock record to me. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's never not listenable. There's some um, kind of silly kind of silly throwaway so- songs and a couple covers. Um, and, um, but, but it's, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's never not fun. And um, there's a couple of their best songs are on here. Um, I, I chose aneurysm. Well, you gotta wait, you gotta wait until I do my All number right. three. You got it. I knew there was going to be crossover. So <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll I actually, it. I knew that was going to be on your list. There's no, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, Mark, what's your number four? My number four is off of the second record, Nevermind. It is Come As You Are. Think about this song, the guitar riff is always been in my mind. I think this is one of the first bass riffs I learned how to play when I was in high school. Um, 
There's just something about this song. Uh, it was interesting because as I've started to listen to a little bit more Killing Joke on Eric's yeah. uh, Um Apparently this song has, and I would actually do notice it now, but the Killing Joke song from 1984, 80s, which is a great song, uh, does have quite a similarity to this. And apparently Kurt Cobain was very, very familiar with that. It's not to say that he was ripping it off, but he just knew that it was a little similar. And it's a, yeah, yeah, it sounds like one of those subconscious things when you right. when you compare them. I right. also think I think he was he didn't mind wearing his uh, influences on his sleeves big time. If someone said, "Man, you sound like the Pixies," he'd say yes. If someone said, "Man, you sound like the Melvins," he'd say, "Uh huh." If someone said, "It sounds like a uh, <laughs> Killing Joke song," he'd probably say yes. And um, right, right, and, you're, you're and, absolutely and, true. And uh, Dave Grohl did play in a Killing Joke album, didn't he? Eric, you did. Oh, yeah, he did. Mm, beautiful album. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, come as you are. Um, it, it's hard to not look at the lyric of, um, and I don't have a gun after, you know, obviously how Kurt left this mortal coil. Um, I always kind of just, because I came to this song actually after all of those events, because like I said, Nirvana was not something that I was currently being introduced to as I was really starting to go deep into my musical uh, journey, I guess you'd have to say. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, come as you are, this song just for whatever reason is always in my uh, top of mind whenever I think of Nirvana. So there it is. Come as you are. Yeah, I think it's a great song. It's very haunting sounding. Um, I think the video that just kind of has them playing and there's like a, it opens up with uh, like they're behind a waterfall. I think um, that imagery really suits the song well. Um, yeah, that is come as you are, as I want you to be. I think it's a it's a yeah, great song. Do, it's a, do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so I don't know. Uh, it, it's a good song. I don't really have anything else to say about it. I think I, I really think that's going to be their frame of the night. Just, no man, it's a good song. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they wrote. Really noisy, good songs that were catchy as hell. They struck the yep. balance. It did. Uh, yeah, it did. So we're on number three now. My number three is aneurysm. Eric, cool, I'll let you cool. continue. twist and then it just kind of just all the changes are just perfect his his lyrics could go back and forth between being um pretty deep and then just kind of being like another like take on an institution just kind of an ironic take on on you know 50s dance music and rock and roll um and this song just fucking shreds it's it's really really good um uh so uh it's got some of the the best crisp bass work going on. And is Dave on drums on this one? I didn't look that up. I didn't look that up. 
can't tell because it's a it's a b-side and they did have some early b-sides on there but um i think i think it this sounds like dave um so anyways yeah uh, aneurysm's great i think it's a song that opened that live tonight sold out vhs and uh, some great live live versions so yeah for me that b-side album like i said it was a good record but it did have some songs that were not conventional and this song actually you know now it's old hat but at that time when i was that young on this cassette I, I, there wasn't many songs that were so uh it was not verse chorus verse at all it had an extended intro it had an extended uh bridge and an extended outro and it definitely i mean i think it's like a seven minute long song maybe longer um it definitely is a song that has a lot of building 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 and then release and i thought that was incredible and and definitely in the middle there's the you know dun 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 it does that for a little bit then it comes back and then you know and Cobain is screaming over it. It's just some of the best uh, uh, rising action and release I've heard in a rock song to this day. Uh, mm-hmm. Great, great, great job. I love it. Yeah, and it definitely opened my mind up to that. You know, every song doesn't need to be verse, chorus, verse. You could do some some wild, heavy jamming like this. Good track. So that was my number three. Eric, what's your number three? Ah, yes. My number three is how Nevermind closed itself out with something in the way. That is also my number three as well, Eric. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Simpatico. I like it. What do you have to say about it, Mark? Kind of the same way that you feel about it. I mean, I love how the closes out the album. Um, something very haunting in his vocals. Uh, I, it's just a very, I don't know, atmospheric song without having uh, too much schmaltz in it. But yeah, I don't know. Give me a little yeah, bit more I, than I like. Yeah. I like atmos- the atmosphere is good. I feel like the guitar they they let the guitar be nice and noisy and like lo-fi sounding. Um, where it's like sometimes just the way his his hand just kind of hits it and it lets it just warble there. It's almost like like it almost sounds like church bells or chimes or stuff. And um, you know, just the vocals are pretty repetitive, but I think he gets the point across. You know, underneath the bridge, top has sprung a leak. The animals I catch have all become my pets, and just kind of like painting a picture of um, you know probably a lifestyle he borderline lived for a while. Um, you know, pain, loneliness, sad, sadness, and, you know, addiction are all kind of a part of the song. Um, so I love this damn song. And I did just put in parentheses, I love the secret song that comes after this. Endless Nameless. The funny thing about that song, and that's just like a, that's a seven minute noise rocker with some just like screaming vocals and uh, just it's just a noise jam session, um, but they're they're like playing. There's rhythm. It's not like ambient noise. It's 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 definitely got direction and drive to it. But it was funny because I never knew that song was even on there until I watched. Um, I think they played it. They they used to play it live. That's when they would trash their instruments. They, this was the song they would always play when they would trash their instruments. And so I I recognized the melody from that. And then like one day I realized my CD wasn't stopping after something in the way. 
and it kept going and you fast forward, you know, 10 minutes. And then this seven minute just balls to the wall, like shred fest happens. And I, I love that song too. I love them both, but yeah, something in the way is a beautiful way to close out an album. And then if you, you know, if you didn't, if the, the rest of this, their most poppy album didn't get noisy enough for you, they give you this little like pile of razor blade shit at the end. That's that I love. So anyways, there you go. Steven, do you have anything to say about something in the way? I do like it. I really like the unplugged version quite a, quite a lot. I think the, I think the unplugged version is even more haunting. Um, it is the, the, the vocal delivery is great. And also the, uh, what is that? Cello on that version. It's really good. Yeah. Good track. All right. My number two is, uh, another one of their singles. They had great singles. It is Heart-Shaped Box. my number two as well <laughs> nice all right so we'll let eric talk and then we'll talk again well um yeah so why did you oh uh, yeah that's fine my number two was actually off that album um steve you texted us about us earlier but sentless apprentice And so I, I fell in love with it, I think, a little bit later in my appreciation of the band. But just that, that opening, that drum beat, and then um, the the guitar build up, the yeah. and then his vocals going over it. And yeah, the chorus is, is nonsense, you know, get away! Um, but uh, that, that song just... I mean, for the, being their follow-up to their biggest pop album, that song just proved they never lost their teeth, and um, and it, and it gets it gets its hooks in me. I, I stomp my feet to that song all the way through. So that was my number two. I think they made a point to have a um, in utero pretty noisy record, and I think they made it a point to have it less poppy. Uh, that's one of the tracks definitely like that, and you know, Steve Albini helps things along. Uh, yeah, also the, the rat-a-tat-tat guitar part. So da na 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 da na 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 I think this, I think my eventual, uh, love of all things metal, Nirvana had really planted some seeds with the way they would, uh, have some just abrasive riffs that could also just like, uh, laser precision when they wanted to. Uh, mm-hmm. Good track. I like that track. And hey, Mark, you had a, a an anecdote that that always reminds you of now? Um, so well, yeah, whenever I hear that track um, in I think season five of Lost, um, 
Jack Shepard has hit rock bottom and he's just driving around uh, in his Jeep, the beard, blaring this goddamn song. And anytime now I hear it, I just want to put some aviators on. Just uh, roll the windows down, all four of them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I think it's funny in the Superman comics, whenever Superman gets sick of Metropolis, someone gets mad or whatever, he drives off and grows a beard. And I like to imagine he's, he's playing this as well. Great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, if anything that's great about this song, uh, it also uh, really shines the Steve Albini uh, style of production. Um, if you've heard any of his records um, from his high, his probably best produced album, which is uh, Razorblade Suitcase um, by Bush. Uh, <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face, but. He he brings out like this kind of um, saw blade guitar um, kind of tone and his drums, um, either they sound extremely echoey, but not in a Phil Collins way, but something that uh, is, you could tell that it's recorded in a very echoey room. I don't know how else to describe his drum sound, but. Uh, He's like maintaining a garage rock sound. Right. Um, but where you don't have a really problem deciphering the instruments being used. You know what I mean? It's like, it's clear where it needs, needs to be, but it has that, that homegrown kind of sound to it. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I, now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when they released one of those anniversary editions of In Utero, they re- did release a Steve Albini mix. I know he did produce the album, but I could have my history wrong here, but I think he, he did his version of it and there was a little back and forth between him and the band. And so what was actually released in 93, what we all got was, um, you know, not Steve Albini's final vision for the album. And so on that anniversary edition, you get both. And I I definitely listened to them both. Yeah. Yeah. That 2013, I think, uh, deluxe edition has that on there. Right. Right. So, you know, highly, you know, for those, uh, producer heads out there, uh, I recommend comparing and contrasting the two. Uh, anyways, yeah, no. Steve Albini is, you know, besides being a great poker player, is definitely the, uh, I don't know, the Rick Rubin of of loud music, and uh, he he really knows how to he can strip something a band down to their essence and then still make it as loud as possible, and he, I think he did a good job on the '93 release. Um, yeah, I remember the first time I heard Heart Shaped Box, I was just uh, bowled over. anticipated this album and that definitely they did not let me down with this uh the, the first single that came off of it i thought it was their when i first heard this song i thought it was their best song by far and it almost is but uh you know it's just uh i think it's some of his best lyrics um kirk Cobain does do a lot of poetry lyrics that could be nonsense 
but I think the wordplay or the, just the way the words fit together on this track work really well. Uh, just talking about the the bleeding orchids, uh, I always think about that whenever I hear about an orchid. I think of Nirvana. Um, yeah, he always incorporated flowers somehow, and I don't know. Yeah, quite There's, a bit. He did. You're right. Yeah. In his artwork and in yeah, and in his lyrics. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and just the other the forever in debt to your priceless advice line. I've always loved that line. Uh, the 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 delivery of it. It's, it's it's great. And the hey wait, I've got a new complaint. It's uh, it's a great. You know, I used to work with. I still work with a guy named Wayne. And I used to work with this guy named Gary, who's probably 25 years older than us, maybe less from the East Coast. And uh, he's he's just a, yeah, I'm Gary from Jersey. But whenever whenever we'd talk about Wayne pissing him off, we'd always say, hey, Wayne, I've got a new complaint. And I thought that was hilarious. There's <laughs> um, a joke just for a few of us at work because I work with a lot of Luddites. I have no musical taste. And the song has a, one of the closest things to a guitar solo for a Nirvana song. Uh, right. Nirvana songs famously don't have guitar solos, but for about 20, 20 seconds in this one, you've got the do, 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 do. Oh, good. So good. So good. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's just enough. Uh, I think it's, it's a great song. And, um, yeah, the video is directed by, uh, Anton Corbin, actually, friend of the show. And, uh, I think it's a pretty cool video. It's this, it, it's I believe it has like a, an old man, a little girl and a larger woman all in various states of dress. And the band is playing in a, like a field with lightning behind it at times. And there's some weird shit hanging from trees like a, the old man a is gets, old man gets crucified, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a really dark R.E.M. video. Um, it's like if you took the video for losing my religion and just gave it a dose of acid. Kind of looks like a fucked up version of Wizard of Oz. That's what I always yeah, got the impression actually, of. Yeah. yeah, I think there's actually some imagery in there that's definitely like on purpose callback to Wizard of Oz. Came from a, a heart-shaped box that, that Courtney Love gave Kurt Cobain. And he originally mm. called the track Heart-Shaped Coffin. So, <laughs> don't, know, uh, don't know what that was all about. But, mm. so, yeah, great track, man. Uh, Another one, too, that's uh, melodic and at the same time extremely abrasive. Yeah, I mean, um, without really repeating everything that you just said, um, always been my favorite Nirvana music video because of how colorful it all looked. Um, And even though it has its kind of dark moments, uh, but it's still, for me, it seems that Kurt seems to be having a a little bit of fun in this one and it's always nice to see him having fun that's it moving on number yeah, I agree one with you guys. This, on. this one was uh this this song was in my my short list like any day of the week i could swap this one out with you know aneurysm or something like that it's it's such a good song and this was actually it was fun seeing this video premiere you know this was the first video that premiered after i had been into them so I, uh, yeah, I grew my, it's like, I'm growing my hair and I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear flannel and, and boas, of course, pink boas, which I think are all over this video as well. Colorful. All right. So my number one, it might be your guys' number one. I don't know. I think this one's pretty popular. Uh, Lithium. 
Emotionally, as a kid, you know, I, I like up until this point, I liked a good rock song. I liked a good song I could dance to, but Lithium really made me feel like uh, there was some kind of emotional trigger being uh, flipped in there, where this song was speaking to me and for me. I thought it was really important. Um, a lot of it just had to do with the emotion of the delivery of the song, uh, just the loud, quiet, loud. Uh, I just it just it worked perfectly for me. Um, uh, another one. It was another one of their singles, and uh, yeah, the, the Kirk Cobain said that this song was about a guy who, after the death of his girlfriend, uh, turned to religion as a last resort to keep himself alive, uh, to keep him from suicide, which is kind of a haunting quote there. Um, yeah, I, I it's just. Uh, you know, it said, I'm so happy because today I found my friends. They're in my head. Uh, and then the, yeah, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. I just, I think it's just very cathartic screaming song. And that's why one time in eighth grade, we were on a field trip and Mr. Robert Huff placed his shoulder, or, uh, hand on my shoulder on a bus ride and pulled my headphones off my head. And told me to be quiet because I was listening to this song and I kind of got too into it. And I was in a full bus, full bus, this eight-year-old just going through puberty, screaming the lyrics to Lithium. <laughs> just like really just belting it out. And uh, yeah, he, he had to tell Steve to shut up. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think we were, we were on our way to uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium that day. Oh, anyhow, oh, that's uh, Lithium, classic. that's my number one. Lithium is my number one. I love that song. Eric, mine is. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. It's so paint by numbers, but um, my favorite uh, for more reasons than just the song itself is the unplugged version of All Apologies. Is that? Yeah, my favorite is one is All Apologies. Ah, there you now, go. Mark, is yours the unplugged one or the original one? Um, to me, it doesn't make no difference. I'm sorry, but I think they're both fantastic. Um, Eric, go ahead and tell me all about it. The song on the album is pretty. It's like kind of like something in the way as far as a closer. It's it's pretty stripped down and simple. The live version they expand on it more, you know, with uh, kind of bigger strings. Um, and uh, you know, who knows what the hell he's talking about in that song? Um, but it does seem, uh, you know, it does seem like it's 
you know, you can't listen to that song and take it out of the context of who's singing it and, you know, how much longer they had left on the planet. Um, it's pretty, it's heartbreaking, and then, you know, the, the unplugged version, I think, just adds to it because, you know, it was, what, six months before he died when they when they recorded that, and it was probably the last. And I think that they had they made a whole music video out of it. It was always, that just that song was always on rotation on MTV. Um, it was kind of like the last kind of glimpse we had of him, and we didn't even know it at the time, but it just the song took on a lot of weight after he died. Um, but yeah, pretty simple uh, guitar string arrangement, and uh, uh, Kurt... Uh, doing his his thing but with a little bit of tenderness i love it go on mark on vulnerable mark days where i'm feeling very introspective and doing a lot of self-reflection little man in the mirror monologues um if i'm listening to this song at the same time uh it could bring tears to my eyes um i just uh i don't know it's uh it's a song that just hits you right in the feels. I don't know if that's the terminology the youths of today are using, but in the sun, in the sun, I feel as one in the sun, in the sun, and how he just lands on that married and then buried. Uh, it holds a lot of resonance for a man that's uh, going to be 40 next year. And, you know, mm-hmm. are we... And in current of light events, you know, you just kind of want to try to get off that uh, hamster wheel of just feeling that you're living your life by equation. It's a good one. I don't know. This song is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, just incredible vocal performance, incredible songwriting. And um, that's why I think the MTV Unplugged one does hold a little bit of more emotional weight to kind of the context that it was around in um, the reasons that you outlined already, Eric. Um, but for me, also, that's the last song on Nirvana's last studio album. Um, and, uh, yeah, goes out with a bang. That's it. And there's many other good ones. And uh, what was the name of that that one? The, the only, it was like the only new song they put out. You know you're right. That's a good you song. It's right. a good song. That was almost yeah. my number six. It was, oh, yeah, it was, it was actually almost made my list. I was... That was one of, you know, usually when you hear of a song coming out 20 years after a band uh, disbands, you're like, it can't be that good. I've always been surprised by how good that song is, man. That's a great track. Great track. That was a good box set. That was a good, like, like the, they had more demos and B-sides that weren't released and put them on that one. That was a, that was a good box set. Um, that had all the Lead Belly covers other than In the Pines. That, that one had a, had a bunch of fun Lead Belly covers. Our con- our controversial take tonight, Nirvana is good. <laughs> so no oh. no one's ever said that before. <laughs> uh, so we'll uh, we'll be back here in a few few days or so, and you'll hear us talk about the album, The Man Who Sold the World. And we'll talk a bit about Kurt Cobain's and Nirvana's cover of The Man Who Sold the World. Until then, I'm Steve and I'm reminding you to wash your hands and stay indoors. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I was watching my hands. I felt. Yeah. Exactly. I thought that was a great way to end the conversation. But thank you for listening, folks. And as Steve said, wash your hands, and we hope that we brought you closer to Pod.